0: Extra video here from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with Galen Moore and astrophysicist. Yeah, astrophysicist, astrophysicist and we're gonna jump right into talking about black holes (laughs) and comic book art and and uh, grade school projects.
1: Yeah, how you doing, Galen?
0: Thanks for joining us today.
1: No, thanks for inviting me over. It's always a pleasure to be here in East Boston. You know, you you know that I worked here uh, for like six summers. You worked in, on boats, right? Yeah, I was like a sailing yeah. instructor at Pierce That's Park right. Sailing
0: Center. How are your sailing skills these days? Uh, pretty
1: good, actually. I went out for the first time last weekend when it was beautiful. Okay. And, um, yeah, you know, strong to quite strong. Nice.
0: Yeah. And so those six summers you were actually teaching people how
1: to sail? I was, yeah. Yes. I started out uh, knowing less than my students, Yeah, which is a great way to, to start and learn. I mean, I was I started out teaching in a youth program, right, which is like my friend called me up and said, you know, hey well you do this and I'm like I don't know that much about sailing he said like, no you don't have to you just have to be like a, a good person yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. uh, which is really I think what a lot of what you know teaching kids is about right in a way um, so anyway yeah I learned from the kids and then I taught the adult program and then I ran it for a little while
0: nice I did a sailing program on the Merrimack River back when I lived was nice. growing up in the it and was, it was technically uh, the program was out of Lawrence great and some of the kids that played I was in middle school, but some of the kids that I knew that were high school soccer players, like that was their job for the summer was to teach kids. Cool. And so I went with my, my buddies and I used to always get in trouble because, you know, we'd get the sailing down, we'd be sailing, but it was really fun to tip the sailboat. Sure. Yeah. Um, what's
1: what's what's wrong with
0: that? No, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And until they take your boat away and they're like, you have to swim
1: all the way back to the shore. Nice. Nice. That's how they do it in, in Lawrence. Yeah.
0: So... You were just mentioning that your son's got a project uh, that pertains to the black hole. Oh no!
1: Well, so so yeah. So I was uh, so I promised my my son is nine and he's in a comics class. He loves comics. He loves drawing. Loves art. And um, uh, I promised I'd bring him a like I'd print out a picture of the black hole uh, and I'd bring it to him uh, so he could draw it in a comic. Okay. So I don't know. This could be the first. Like, if he produces okay. something in the class today, it could be the first comic drawn, you know, with the, the image of the black hole. Well, you're a media
0: guy. You understand this is some value right here. Could be. If he could develop a comic based on the image, I mean, yeah. who he well, be... all other
1: black holes in yeah. comics up yeah. until now have been fake. Basically, yeah. this is the first one that will be drawn yeah. from a real reference point. Yeah. Potentially, I mean, I, it probably not. Like, probably somebody's already. It's what is it? It's eleven o'clock in the morning. Somebody's already working on Somebody's it. Somebody's already working on it. The first, yeah.
0: first page of the comic will be
1: this comic uh, that based on a true image. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's actually really fascinating to think about how you know our imagination sort of crafts images of what like a black hole looks like or whatever things like this. There are there are a lot of things like an atom. You know, there are a lot of things like this that we don't. You know, we have images in our minds, we've seen them in newspapers and in comic books and, and in television ads and wherever, in science fiction, we have images of what they look like, but, but what does that correspond to the actual reality of, of what an atom appears, what it, yeah. would appear like, you know? Like in its, all of its dimensions. Yeah, yeah. so to, to an actual well, yeah. microscope capable of, 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 you know, capturing an image yeah. of an electron or something or, or, you know, a quark or whatever.
0: Yeah. Is that where like VR gets really interesting? Or, or like some sort of augmented, or even mm. an augmented reality, mm. just an ability to immerse yourself and mm. and around an object and and and, and, and yeah. view it
1: that way. Well, yeah, like I mean, there are insights that come from that, right? For sure, right? Like when you, right? I mean, yeah. I mean when you can see something in a, you know, sort of experience it in a different way, it's in a
0: multi-dimensional way, yeah. or more suited for it, as if as if you were there, um, as right. opposed to through a, like, I don't know, a static, like wall, like flat view.
1: Yes, yeah. I mean, it's like everybody learns differently, right? Yeah. Like some people learn from images and some people from text. This is one of the things we, we talked about incessantly in sailing school, like in Sailing School for Sailing Teachers, was like how some people learn verbally. You talk to them, they learn. Some people, they need to see it written down. Other people need to see a picture drawn and then others need to actually do it. And you think about VR, For the one who needs to learn by doing, right? Yeah, that's the uh, that's that's the benefit.
0: I think about this a lot because I'm curious what. So my daughter, so your kids are a little older. My daughter's just she's gonna be two in July. Okay, and I feel like she's gonna be in VR headset by high school, learning Spanish at a cafe in Madrid.
1: That's an interesting possibility. Yeah, that's an interesting possibility. I think it's really tricky with kids, I'll say that, and with yeah. adults too, right? Because the screens are addictive. Yeah. Right. And I, I mean, I, I haven't done much with VR. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: there's definitely people in Boston who are much more experts on that, like Sarah Downey, right? Like yeah. yeah. This, you know, like massive VR geek. <clears throat> uh, but, you know, for, for me, like I've experienced it a few times, but I can tell you, even just like text. You know, even just the sort of variable rewards of Twitter, right, are are addictive. And the same thing I see for my my kids. Um, I think, you know, there's a balance between, you know, the need to participate in that, especially for children, right? There's a need for them to be comfortable and learn how to use digital media. Um, But then there's the kind of addictive nature of it. That can be super problematic when that dopamine gets flowing through that small brain. Yeah, you know, like my kid loves Minecraft. Ooh, okay, loves Minecraft. Minecraft is,
0: which is actually really good because it's like design, right? It's, it's it's like,
1: It's creative. It's um, you know, it's like planning and resource uh, allocation. Uh, you know, and, and there's it's a there's a finite amount of resources. It's not so much driven by you know fast twitch reaction or, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah
0: so there's a lot of skills developed through mm-hmm. like minecraft which i've actually heard this from other parents before like, i think that's you choose yeah. mind minecraft over a lot of games totally. But then you still want to limit it just because overall like it's screen time and i actually like i'm curious Would stay on this track for a little bit my wife and i have already recently identified just in this mobile device age like yeah like we'll allow our daughter to maybe watch a show on her phone and then now she's associated like our phones to shows and she'll mm-hmm. be like show show and she'll right. pull her phone. So now like at bedtime like we don't do shows anymore right right like so if we're, if we've started to have times where we're already removing any device or screen uh-huh. which is kind of like a preemptive strike and I don't know how helpful it will be a few years down the road because it, in reality she's surrounded by yeah. our computer screens totally. Our phones. <laughs> Moving into a new house, we'll have two TVs. I don't like a lot of TVs. Like we have two, two total TVs, but still, that's two more screens. Yeah, what's the average? You
1: know? <laughs> like, what's the average I number mean, of televisions? I feel like in a home, like Classic.
0: most of my friends, they have a they have a TV in their bedroom. Yeah, they have a couple TVs in like maybe a den, living room, like, and then maybe in
1: in their kids' bedrooms. We have only mind- one wall-mounted screen in my house, yeah. but I mean, you know, Never. there are how many screens are there? Jesus. You know there's a a half a dozen at least because if you have an ipad two phones a tablet um my kids got a desktop yeah Uh, my wife and i each have laptops we've got an old laptop that the kids use for stuff and that we still play dvds on because there's still a dvd store there's a video store in my neighborhood which is cool it's very cool that's cool i love it so i'm an analog person at heart do you know (laughs) are you familiar with the
0: the raspberry pi
1: yes Okay, I mean not. I mean when you say familiar, like you know what it is. Yes, (laughs) my buddy has one.
0: I mean, hopefully his marriage will survive it. Uh, But he's playing like everything from like Duck Hunt, like the original Mario Brothers to Sega. But it's every all those original gaming systems. You can scroll through and pick a gaming system, and then has all the games.
1: Wow, yeah, that's cool. I mean, it can't be legal. We've. Thought, I've, I've been talking with some people about you know getting one to run a uh, you know some, some nodes on Lightning for example the Lightning network uh, which is a we can get into crypto in a little bit uh, but oh, we will useful in, in many ways um, the the Raspberry Pi I think I, I mean and it's actually I think you know this this kind of concept of tinkering okay. right like Raspberry Pi is like for the tinkerer yeah right and that's actually really great like Minecraft is the same way so for example we run a server. Uh, you know, you download the code to run. Like when you play Minecraft um, in a, in, you know, at home, you know, you're, you're basically just playing on your own machine. Everything yeah. that's running is on your own machine. But you can play on someone else's server and play in a team environment, a collaborative environment, a multiplayer. Uh, and you can also host your own multiplayer environment. Right. right? By downloading the server, the, the code to run the server, run that on your own machine, open it up to the Internet. And other people can come and play on your server. So Quincy, my son, has actually had virtual play dates with his you know little friends, and they yeah. go in there and build shit together in Minecraft. And I mean, you know, that's cool. I think. But uh, what's what's kind of even more interesting is that sort of okay, let's mess around with this. You know, I know the first thing about uh, you know networking, and um, uh, but you know, spending an afternoon figuring that out, you know, is kind of like you know, fixing a bike or, yeah. uh, you know, anything else I don't know really jack squat about.
0: Yeah. I could see myself getting <laughs> really into Minecraft, like in a yeah. dangerous way. Yeah. Like, I was, yeah, really, it's really fascinating to like build your own world and then inviting people, invite people into it. Yeah. And it's like, there's that, something, Yeah, something cool. There's something, there's something neat about that for a young child to sort of teaches it probably instills, stills in your son, like you have all the possibilities to like there's there's all these like simple mantras i go by in life where it's like i create my own happiness yeah. and it's like your son's literally creating a world like yeah. he's creating fun he's creating a world he's creating gaming he's creating uh environment and he's and creating an environment for people to interact in so that's hopefully you can like it, that can consequently instill in him things in the physical world
1: He's getting uh, sort of uh, gratified by that creative impulse and and sharing and also I think yeah. you know like getting under the hood you know actually Building. getting in and understanding something on a, on, a, on a kind of component level like the mechanics yeah yeah you know it's like that uh, the book is kind of I think fallen out of fashion a little bit, but it used to be. Like a, this is a decades ago, but it was a big deal. Uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Okay, uh, and oh. it's a it's a good book. Uh, and and one of the, the kind of the main principle of it is that you know and this is always reductionist, but sometimes helpful. Like I mean, it's like stereotypes, but sometimes helpful to understand how people operate. Is basically that the world falls into two categories. The world of people falls into two categories: people who have a romantic mindset and people who have a classical mindset. People who have a romantic mindset—they just want to feel it. They want to experience it. They want to—you know—they don't want to waste their time getting into the nitty gritty. People who have that classical mindset—they're they, tinkerers. They want to get in under the hood, understand every little piece of how it works, and that for them is like a kind of an enjoyment. And so it's like it's like listening to um, you know Mahler or something versus listening to Bach. Hmm.
0: You
1: know, you get the—you know—on the one side the really you know, swelling of emotion and the experience, and on the other side the kind of like minute, detailed, technical. Um, approach interesting
0: well, how would you classify not that we can just broad stroke just throw Boston Tech into one of those buckets but would you more classify engineers and entrepreneurs startup enthusiasts yeah. in Boston as more classical
1: you know I think that's a fair that's a fair kind of lumping or bucketing to use like I mean one thing you hear especially about the venture Community here in Boston is that they want to see the numbers You know, uh, they're more like more like bankers in that way, right? Whereas out, out west, you know, they want to meet you and have dinner with you or they want to get their hands on they the They want to product. feel your vibe. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Which yeah. probably means, yeah. you know, that's yeah. the reason why, like, 96% of venture-backed yeah. companies are led by men. Yeah. Right? Because, yeah. like, there's a little bit too much vibe going on. Too much about. of a club. Yeah. Too much of a gentleman's right. club. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. if more people would just pay attention to the numbers, maybe. Yeah. And not that Boston doesn't suffer from some of the same issues. But um, I think I think yeah. that's a kind of a fair uh, characterization is that, you know, Boston has a more maybe technical not that not that silicon valley is technically weak or something but but there's a more kind of there's a more of willingness to look ahead and be visionary right which i think is ultimately yeah. why they've grown to to such a degree yeah. of success right like what are you selling when you sell to a venture capitalist you're selling future yeah future yeah. potential right? yeah i
0: actually see boston silicon valley and seattle as similar in that regard and i mm-hmm. see like los angeles as being different Mm. and more romantic Mm. and just having been there like a lot of the startups in LA that yeah get 10 million dollar a rounds that don't have their economic model figured out but have like some grandiose like aspirational (laughs) like whimsical sort of big idea
1: bowfinger style yeah and they just (laughs) see that movie yeah,
0: actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like when I think of like Silicon Beach, like that's a lot of the. the I, oh I think, wow! I think there's. If you're a romantic entrepreneur, go to L.A. Um, I think they definitely. And I, I was at a Boston Video Executive Breakfast like a couple weeks ago. Um, Mike Mike Green from Cove puts it on and uh-huh. was there with a few companies. I won't mention who they are, but like there was a couple that were fundraising and they were speaking to how difficult, they just how much they're. Business models and the and the economic models of the businesses here in Boston are are under a microscope when they're trying to fundraise in Boston. Yeah, and they were sure. t- talking about that, um, you know, vis-a-vis the West Coast and in particular LA, and how right. there's some some argument to be made to maybe go out and try to fundraise out in LA because there might be, at this point where their business is, it may not be ready for the scrutiny of a Boston-based yeah. investor. Well, but I
1: mean, the question <laughs> is like, what are you selling? Are you it's selling like three-year you know, are you selling a three-year outcome or yeah. are you selling a five or ten-year outcome? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the virtue That's of venture right. capital is that it, it provides a market for something that doesn't have a market yet. Yeah. right. The, uh, yeah. A, a, a venture investor will buy something that, that nobody in the market is ready to buy that maybe hasn't been developed. Maybe the technology hasn't even been tested. Right. And... And so like, are we really thinking three years out? Are we, are we limiting our horizons yeah. to, to the kind of the business plan yeah. type of horizon? Well, that's uh-huh. where there's tension
0: because by definition, what you just described is risk. Right? right. You're, you're, it's a big, it's yeah. a risky bank. So are you measuring yeah. risk like a
1: bank or are yeah. you measuring risk like a technologist? Yeah. So it's
0: tough to measure risk like a bank. <laughs> but if you can measure it like a technologist, at least yeah. you can forecast, well, this this logically and technologically makes sense. Yeah. so we can project that right. the market will sort of consequently should exist.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, and obviously like when you look at some pr- a prediction like that like that's why venture returns are so terrible across the board. Like, you know, 3 quarters of the asset class doesn't outperform the S&P. It's I heard a Sounds stat like at one now, point. Right? So <laughs> I don't know what the latest numbers on well, that were, but that was historically the, the Well, along those lines. Thing.
0: So you're, you're essentially saying like, yeah. you know, maybe a quarter yeah. outperformed. Yeah. So yeah. similar number I heard. So we were working with a company out of Denver that acquired a competitive company in the Google advertising marketplace. And they acquired them more so to, with, and with the understanding that it would just eliminate a competitor and with the understanding that in the, in acquisitions brutal. that met their profile, less than 25% of the time, the acquisition was oh, worth yeah, the cost. Of course,
1: of course. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I just started <laughs> that book, uh, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Okay. Um, this, this has been
0: recommended. Everybody's since. talking about yeah. it,
1: right? And it came out. So I was surprised how long ago it came out. I was just looking at it. It was out in 2011. I wish Someone I had read it. Someone must have reviewed
0: it recently. I or wish something, I had read it it's two got years some heat ago. Right now. Oh, definitely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the things, you know, that, uh, that, that he opens up with that I thought was just hilarious in the introduction is like, if you, you know, if you describe somebody and you say, oh, you know, this person is um, quiet, shy, likes helping others, but, you know, really thrives in an ordered environment uh, and, and, you know, really needs to be in kind of structured and, and kind of obsesses over detail. Now is, is Johnny, whom I've just described to you, more likely to become a farmer or a librarian? You're going to say librarian. Yeah, I would right? say librarian. Yeah, of course, yeah, right? Yeah. But what you don't know is that there are 20 male farmers for every one male librarian in the United States.
0: Uh, so <laughs> right? Very, there's, right? There's scarcity in the, yeah. in the role for, for, for all the Johnnies.
1: And, well, I mean, it's just like, what's yeah. the, what are the odds that yeah. Johnny's going to be a librarian or a farmer? You know what? It doesn't matter what his personality doesn't is. It doesn't matter. The, you know, it's going to be – his personality is going to have to be pretty strongly indisposed to being a farmer for, him to be, for it to be more likely for him to become a librarian with a 20X – you know, statistical it does get a pl- weight,
0: right? <laughs> so can you apply, so, can you apply that to all the truckers in the trucking industry getting automated? And hey, like these, well, th- th- that may be their mo- mo- most ideal. Well, job. what's the you know,
1: what's the likely outcome? Or you know, what right. what's the you know? I mean, people tend to. I mean, he was using it. The author was using it as a uh, Daniel was the Caneman was using it as a uh, illustration of a uh, of a um, of a um, it's not the availability bias, but it's the uh, it's like the the rep uh, the example bias. That's not what he calls it. Anyway, um, you have an example you understand, so you're biased toward making a decision that way. But I think it relates to what you were saying about you know most you know many many companies may be evaluating strategic acquisitions and thinking, will this acquisition be successful? Will it you know, you know add to our EBITDA? Yeah. Or something, or will it, you know? Yeah. Will it be important to our business? Will we be able to integrate it successfully? And what they should be looking at is the fact that their odds of succeeding in any of those measures of success are, are vanishingly small. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, yeah. you know, depending on the track record of an individual company, there are outliers, but across the board, you look at most acquisitions are failures. I, I mean, yeah. anecdotally, I would say that that's probably the truth.
0: Anecdotally, but and apparently, like statistically, <laughs> because it's. These these acquisitions are public record. I, I get the the stat. Was I, set, yeah, I'm sure somebody's this, got the someone you know, someone's crunching or someone's somebody's crunching the, the numbers. And sure. this company at least was humble enough to admit that yeah. you know, in part they were acquiring this company with the understanding that it was more likely than not yeah that they would not achieve the amount of uh, profit right from the, to justify the acquisition to justify the price. cost. But yeah. the opportunity cost that they gained in the market all kinds of other ways to measure value was absolutely. how they were going to measure the value
1: totally totally or maybe just the talent yeah. that they brought in any number of reasons uh, but i think um i mean you you see the flameouts right you see like the the Bayer buying Monsanto yeah you know the, the real truly disastrous yeah. awful cringe-worthy ones yeah. but i think in general like if you if you looked at most of them from some from any kind of objective perspective i i would say Probably the success rate of, of merger and acquisition is, is similar to the success rate of venture capital. Yeah. Right? I mean it's yeah. it's probably not Yeah.
0: You know, I, yeah, that's kinda of why when you're talking about VC, I jump to M and A because I feel yeah. like that they're sim they're they're similarly uh Yeah. Modest success rates, like, right, you know, yeah. sub... Certainly sub 50, but maybe even sub, tw- sub... Who knows? They're, who knows, they're like yeah. sub 20%. i am speaking from
1: a position of complete ignorance, which is, which is the best. <laughs> it's
0: the best. The best. Kind of the place most all speak from, and, and hopefully enough of us can be humble enough to admit that. I mean, we're all just kind of faking it till we make but it. But
1: arrogant enough to keep talking. Yeah. <laughs>
0: right, sure. Yeah. Uh, you just kind of triggered me into... I'm, I'm thinking of... All this talking we're doing, and, and your deep knowledge on uh, VC and startups, and and I'm having a flashback to Mass High Tech, Galen. Oh wow, that's yeah. what I. That's that's when I met you. That was a long
1: time ago. What year was that? That was so. I started at Mass High Tech, which was a print publication covering the technology industry. Print. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mass High Tech was a print publication that had a. Um, it had a model that I don't think anybody uses anymore, which is basically a selective uh, audience. Like they would, you, you sort of had to be quote unquote invited to 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 receive it, to receive the print edition. And uh, the the you know they had a digital, they had a website, uh, but so it it was, had this
0: uh, air of exclusivity to it. For the, I mean, it was it was a promise to the that. advertisers.
1: Yeah. Like nobody's reading this except whatever director and above at technology companies mm-hmm. in the New England region, mm-hmm. right? And um,
0: were you responsible for helping with the model then or were you just, no. you were just reporting?
1: Yeah, I was yeah. a, I was a reporter. And it's when like I the came mid, on mid two thousands, late, yeah, 2008, late 2008. Um, I had been, I had been working at a publication called Boston Now, which was a startup uh, competitor to the Metro. It was a free daily uh, uh, started by some of the same people who were involved in the Metro and also were behind AM New York and um, uh, the one in Long Island, Newsday, um, all free dailies. <clears throat> and uh, uh, that startup was backed by Icelandic corporate VC, uh, which doomed it well before the the shit hit the fan for the rest of the global economy. Around March of 2000, uh, of 2008 was when um, Iceland mm. you know really, uh, really melted down, right? Uh, and and you know it was I guess you might have read the tea leaves then, but not met that many people did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, um, that that folded, and um, I landed at, at Mass High Tech, uh, covering internet and venture capital. Which uh, my editor at the time, Doug Banks, who's now the um, who's now the editor at uh, uh, Boston Business Journal, um, said was like. You know, hey, this is a shitty beat, but you know you're new. You know, and as it turned out, It's kind of a sec, and now it's a sexy beat. Well, so at yeah. the time, everybody thought like, <clears throat> you know, uh, you know, people had sort of like in the back of their minds acknowledged that the battle to be like the 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 you know the center of software technology venture capital was was lost, was mm. gone. They they hadn't really acknowledged it up front. Right. That would come uh, a year later when when Paul Graham kind of slammed the door and left. Cambridge, right? And Y Combinator went exclusively West Coast. But but at the time I think some people still sort of had this illusion that, you know, we were somehow competing with Silicon Valley here in yeah. Boston, which was you know, yeah. no more than we're competing with Hollywood when it comes to the movie industry. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. And it wasn't then. But uh, at the well time said. a lot of people were saying yeah. <laughs> at the time a lot of people were saying, Oh, you know, biotech. I mean, and on biotech, no question, this is Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is biotech Hollywood right here mm-hmm. uh, in Cambridge and Kendall Square um, but you know so at the time people were talking more people in the sort of tech sector and the venture sector in um, sort of innovation industries in Massachusetts were, were more interested in biotech and um, clean tech uh, was was big then you had a123 mm-hmm. uh, coming out and um, <clears throat> you know some other, big well capitalized uh you know environmental technology plays. Yeah. Remember retro efficiency? Yes. Like I do. Bennett, Bennett Fisher. Yeah, you yeah, bet I do. They had a nice exit. Yeah. No, there I mean there were some successes. A one two three was was a was, but there was that was uh, A one
0: Right, right. You know, but yeah, but, but there, were, no, yeah. there was that period of time in the late 2000s, or yep. like 2010, 11. And, you know, the
1: government sort of really focused on yeah. that, and so I think you know for that reason, Doug was like, "Well, you know, these are the the sort of plum beats." Yeah. You know, internet, you know, and venture capital. Uh. Yeah. But as it turned out, you know, 2008 with, with actually then the following year with the departure of Y Combinator, that was really an energizing moment for the Boston tech scene. And you had, uh, I think, a lot of people sort of wake up and go, whoa, we got to do something here. And there was a sudden, you know, that was when you started to see venture capital firms moving from uh, Mount Money out in uh, Waltham uh, to this, you know, to the city, city. to Kendall and to downtown Boston. You know, you started to see that. That's when
0: the the early plans for the seaport. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That that sort of started
1: to move off. It's like decades of torpor. Yeah. Or whatever. Um, you know, Frank McCord had decamped. Yeah. I remember to her, to, I, to own the LA Dodgers, the parking lot right. barren. Yeah. Of Boston.
0: It was what so you were at Mass High Tech in two thousand eight. I yeah. was at Fama PR in, yeah, Cambridge, that's right. in Cambridge Innovation Center. Okay. And it was two and it was and we were working with a lot of companies out of CIC. CIC was kinda of blowing was, up. CIC was right? blowing up. Yeah. Tim Rowe's operation was blowing up. And you know that companies like HubSpot, HubSpot. exactly. And you had
1: what you had also at that time was like HubSpot is a great example because you had a generation of, like until that point, like most of the angels who were investing at the seed stage in Boston were like Lotus Development generation. Not not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's like a like a generation or two removed from the companies that were operating in 2009, 2010. Yeah, and. You started to see a new generation of angel investors come up at that time, people who had, um, you know, had exit, had recent exits and were probably still operating, right? Like Dharmesh Shah Mm -hmm. at HubSpot is a Mm -hmm. great example, was like one of the most prolific angel investors during that period. Mm -hmm. And, And he was, you know, still operating, running a company, which I think, you know, obviously means he had less time. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah. but probably means he had more valuable insights. I mean, I, I yeah. think it's a it's kind of a, a truism that the person who's like one step ahead of you has better advice for you than the person who's a hundred steps ahead of you.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. a little more they're a little more can more identify and relate to the specific next step you need to take yeah yeah because it's going to be very difficult to take 99 steps at once
1: yeah uh, right yeah,
0: cic was interesting in those days like Celtra was a startup then i was working with those guys now that so Celtra is the rich media advertising platform for oh, wow the, globally huh so this is a company a, i don't know much as about. i've so i still work in advertising 10 years later and when you're building ads for digital and mobile seltra is like the de facto platform when snapchat adopted huh. embraced its first partner in to to take an outside software into Snap to allow companies to customize ads for Snap. Right, right. I remember when those are Okay. Yeah. So this Interesting. is a small company out a CIC that's that's blown up. So how, just, how big are they now? I like, roughly they're pro- I mean they might they might not quite be a hundred people. Uh-huh. Um but there's certainly it's one of the
1: things I, I kinda like about Boston. Yeah. It's like but, a dozen companies like that. But that they own the space and yeah. that's what's important.
0: <laughs> yeah. And when you go to Vegas for CES, like seltzer has yeah. got Billboards going down wow. uh, the main drag. Wow. And they're like right up next, you know, they they have billboards competing with the Apple billboards.
1: C E C E L T R A. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Um, Mia, Miha Maikik. Is, okay. Is, is, oh, that name's familiar. And his wife, um, Maya. Okay. And David George, who's the CEO at Pixability now. Oh, okay. He was like yeah. the CFO, CRO yeah. for a while. Um, they had a really strong leadership team Yeah, and they had tech, they had some, some of their tech
1: team was in Europe. Uh, You know, Boston has always been like whatever new Englanders have always been bad at like telling, telling their own, you know, story. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's part of the reason why you see companies like that that are a little bit behind the scenes thrive. Yeah. You know, uh, that are, that are less sexy, that are more B2B. Yeah uh here and i mean that's you know that's not a that's not really an answer to the question of why we don't have you know bigger companies here right that's not like you know you can grow huge companies in that space yeah in in any b2b like there are plenty of you know companies that dwarf any of the companies public or private operating in boston yeah. that are also you know unsexy and you never hear about yeah right oh yeah so so I, you know this sort of this put aside the question of why in boston dna do we do we tend to you know hit so many singles or doubles or whatever and, and hit so few home runs the the um the the but what i think also came about in 2009 and 2010 was a you know with fresh blood in the ecosystem you know, let's not use that word ecosystem, but fresh yeah. blood in the tech scene yeah. here, you started seeing people with more of a, of a willingness to, to promote market, to, to, you know, to, um, to gather people and celebrate. So that was, you know, around the time that, um, you saw like, uh, Sarah Hodges, Jennifer Lum, Dave Balter, um, and Bostono. right. Uh, I really uh, want to meet Sarah. I love, I love, she's a great follow on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, totally. Just, just, and I mean, yeah. pe- you know, people like that, I think in that era were, were operating, investing, and also doing a Advocating. lot. to Yeah, to kind of, to, yeah. to sort of hype, right? Yeah. Like bringing some hype, which like to the, to the New England mindset is like, well, why would you hype? You know, hype is like a, neg- it does have a negative connotation, but I think you you need some of that in order to get the, you know, get the juices flowing, get people moving, get capital flowing, talent interested, make things happen.
0: Yeah. That was the real, that was the big opportunity that Boston o sort of seized. Absolutely. At, at that time. Absolutely. Like, uh, Greg Gomer, and Chase, Kevin, Kevin yeah.
1: really, uh, Lauren Landry, like yeah. really sort of getting in there and, and being, becoming a voice for that um, at, you know, at the right time was, um, was, was huge. Now, I mean, I think it's. You know, in some ways, like I would say Bostino captured lightning in a bottle and mm-hmm. and I you know, I've been there. I was there during a time when we were looking to sort of, you know, label that and package it and sell it in other cities. And it, it's um it's difficult. Yeah. You know, like it's uh, I mean I think uh what was Streetwise Media is now called American Inno. Mm-hmm. And it's in um uh, some Thir- six or seven.
0: Thirteen cities Holy now. Sh- they just announced yeah. Tampa. I was very surprised. I I thought it was a I didn't realize it. Tampa's Shot cool. Shot past 10, yeah. It's interesting.
1: Uh, I like Tampa. Yeah. Under yeah. the
0: radar markets. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: there's things happening there. There's things happening. I mean,
0: there's things happening everywhere. But there's things happening everywhere. And it's like, it's. The, I think strategically, they're going after markets that are underserved. Yeah. Whereas, like, i talked to, yeah.
1: Similar to the Techstars model, for example. Yeah, very similar. Like, people yeah. ask, like, David Cohen from Techstars, like, a while back, you know, what, what? why not Silicon Valley? It's like, well, it's not like I'm, you know anti-silicon valley i'm just pro everywhere else yeah and Silicon. you know there's enough people yeah in, in the valley and in new york yeah and the second tier and you know third tier markets there's a lot happening but i think you know there's a like again there was like a there was like a kind of almost like a little renaissance happening in boston at that yeah. time yeah, in two thousand nine. Yeah, Lauren described it well. Lauren, Lauren
0: described it well. Like sort of long ago, like it was, a, it was a little bit of lightning in the bottle, but Boston captured that the rally cry for Bostonians yeah. that cared about tech was, right. "Hey, we like, hey, we compete with Silicon Valley," and whether or not like where there was merits or not. It didn't matter. It Doesn't matter. It's, it's just okay. it,
1: it, it, yeah. Look around you. Yeah, right. like, is it this is a great place yeah, it was to like, work. It's like <laughs> you couldn't really go. Even Still then, the now rent is even so more. Goddamn high, I know. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Well, so even then, you know?
0: and ten years later, the yeah. rents are ridiculous. But even then, like rents were were were, were manageable. Oh but you, it was tough to go out in a bar in Boston or Cambridge or Somerville. I was in Davis Square yeah. and not strike up a conversation with someone who worked in TAC. Totally. And that was 10 years ago and it's only totally. gotten more debt.
1: It's, 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 um, there's an industry here. It's a, it's a, and and so I would say also, by the way, not just tech, but a kind of, a, and and this is yeah. certainly centered around tech. But I think the demographic trend that's more, maybe also more, more important is millennials entering the workforce, mm-hmm. right? So millennials, and I, you know, I hate the term, uh, are the sort of generational, you know, even on the kind of on the when they're on applied with some level of rigor, mm-hmm. strike me as arbitrary and bullshit, right? Like we're all, you know, like you. <laughs> What is it? What's the um, what's what's the analogy like if if the universe was formed in a calendar year, uh, like, you know, human life on Earth would be like 10 minutes towards sunset on December 31st, or yeah. something like that, yeah. you know, 10 minutes yeah. before midnight, yeah. before the bell, before the apple yeah. drops in New York, yeah. would, would be human life on earth. So, we're all I mean, we don't have
0: to categorize, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: we don't have to be like, Oh, I'm different from you because you're a member of the silent generation, like, you know, it's like yeah. honestly, yeah, but but I would say, like, there are important demographic trends in the economy, and and you saw the rise of, of the millennial generation entering the workforce, and and so that was, you know, that was happening, that's happened now. Mm-hmm. now the lar- you know the largest bubble in the workforce right uh, and and um and that was happening then and so necessarily i think because of you know where where industry and momentum was that was you know the attention in that area was focused on tech but i think you also had just a lot of people coming to boston right taking jobs here working here maybe graduating college here and staying here right and and even if they weren't working in tech they were thinking about it yeah. and interested in it yeah, and they were also interested in social yeah. and everything else, and that's why you know you you look at the path that Boston took at that time, right? They hired sports writers, yeah, they went city news writers, yeah. and and the vision at that time was was you could be a sort of a you know a, a Boston Globe for the yeah. new for yeah. a new generation, yeah. Um, you know, I think as it you know as it turns out, you know, ad supported news media is hard, yeah.
0: Yeah. And there's a couple big, I mean, you still got the Herald in addition to the Globe. So that perhaps is a bit too grandiose and just a bit too horizontal to focus. And the the economics of having that, the depth of reporting across that many verticals is is tough.
1: Very much so. And tough for, for advertisers to grasp. Yeah, you know, I think there were, you know, I mean, it's it's the nature of sort of the growth of a, of a business. The ad yeah.
0: industry is changing a bit, but still, generally speaking, care about vanity metrics, too. Totally. So scale matters. Totally. Um, yeah. But but there are companies that are kind of working on more, like, qualitative and engagement metrics that may help. But that's probably going to impact B2B measurement oh, yeah. first. Is it, that's interesting. That's one of the things I like about working in B2B is it, it seems to me that some of, the, some of the things will eventually permeate in – B business to consumer publishing yeah. they happen in business to business first like business to business publishers are innovating much faster than b2c yeah in my view and getting that's to work sit down with lots of publishers yeah and some of the publishers <laughs> that are doing really well in b2c right. like group nine like thrillist the dodo like that's some of their properties they're like a top 10 global digital publisher and a lot of people don't know that, and it's because they think like a they think like a technology company, and they think B two B. Interesting, but their properties right. sure. are all B B2, two B two C focused. Yeah, that's interesting. and they're outflanking tons of people globally. Huh. Uh, they're right up there with Instagram and Apple as a top so, digital publisher. Wait,
1: so Thrillist? Yeah. Explain to me how what the B two B. Where's the Where's the other B? <laughs> so the
0: other B is the manner in which they build their technology infrastructure to speak to the publishing and the, the sell side and buy side of the publishing industry such that they can transact and do business against their content across platforms. Okay, They're just extremely technologically savvy and I advanced see. in how easy it is to both understand their, their audiences everywhere, transact against those audiences, and, and get reports on the impact of the ad buys against those audiences. They're just but- a very savvy... Business company that is selling to other businesses, but ultimately their audience is in their audience is is is, is consumers in, in a few different versions.
1: So at the end of the day, are they up against uh, somebody with bigger vanity metrics in the eyes of some ill-informed?
0: Yeah, that's like maybe going off like a Nielsen score. <laughs> yeah, or something. right, right, yeah, yeah, comfortable. Yeah,
1: buyer. Yeah, uh, who who whose success is not necessarily measured on actual. Impact yeah. on the bottom line,
0: right? It's an ad buyer who looks at the traditional yeah. vanity metrics from a Nielsen or Comscore right. and the new Player in the space that's helping the group nines of the world is a company I actually work with called tubular labs Okay, and they they're actually the, the biggest global content measurement company out there and yeah, they're right. you mentioned working them, they're with right these now. publishers to Consistently add new the metrics education. That, yeah,
1: basically an education. Yeah Yeah, I mean so I guess in a way what you're saying is you see the b2b focused companies like uh, like the publisher of Thrillist, uh, that are um, that are making traction, having success in the, in a in a world in which those you know the real metrics matter. Yeah, and you can see that maybe generalizing down the line. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me because you know in in the crypto space, everybody is. um Everybody is focused on this idea that you can uh, that you can you know uh, uh, on not everybody but a lot of people are focused on this idea that you can somehow improve publishing and advertising right? that you can improve the experience of the reader, mm-hmm. fewer ads, better ads, yeah. uh, you know, micro payments, yeah. uh, and that all this could be done uh, over uh, some form of permissionless blockchain ledger, mm-hmm. right? With uh, with some kind of a of, you know magic internet money mm-hmm. to facilitate the whole thing. Uh, and and uh, you know, I mean, while yes, that vision makes it easier to raise a lot of money from retail investors. A, a savvier vision might be to look at doing something like that in a B two B context.
0: Absolutely,
1: yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. So so let's actually let's so let's double click into
0: into to blockchain, sure. and crypto. I mean, you, like talk us talk talk me through. Going from Boston O and founding sure. Token Report and the sure. the interest in crypto assets and blockchain technologies in general, which has remained your focus, um, now with with uh, Canary,
1: uh, Canary Data, can, yeah, Canary Data,
0: right. yeah. So, like maybe like Canary blocks, Data
1: though it's actually a cool name. I'm a big John Steinbeck fan nice um but no uh, canary data that's right Canary yeah. data. Is, that's the most that's the latest that is yeah that's the latest. which is really it's uh, i have it's a company but it's also kind of a kind of a project i've been working with some folks on on some pretty interesting questions that are just kind of like hey what, what if we figured out an answer to this and um uh and then you know uh, on the side i think some Know, that's brought some some pretty interesting engagements as well in terms of projects that I've been able to work with so far. So it's going well. But um, take it back a couple years, uh, you know, uh, 2017, early on, I left uh, American Inno Streetwise um, that January and um, started talking with a friend uh, who I knew from his days back in Boston, a guy named Peter Vesinus uh, who is a um, uh, serial entrepreneur and has been doing things in blockchain and crypto since about 2011 and um, you know he, he and I started talking about the lack of good information resources in, uh, in crypto at the time it was you know, things were the, the sort of uh, the bull run had, had begun but it hadn't gone insane right. Yeah, so like uh, Ethereum, for example, was trading in the single digits. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Bitcoin, I think had had just crossed a, a thousand uh, a little while before that for the first time since like two thousand fourteen, maybe if I'm not mistaken.
0: But it was twenty seventeen, so it was about to
1: pop off. Things were about yeah. to really, really okay. just get nuts. Yeah, uh, and, and so so we started thinking about okay, well, what you know. So at the time, you know, CoinDesk is kind of like, you could say, like, kind of like the tech crunch of crypto. Sure. Um, And they were not covering uh, new token issuance at all. Like, they were doing great coverage of Bitcoin and some of the altcoins, like Litecoin, for example, Um, maybe even Dogecoin, uh, which is a meme token uh, that was developed as a joke uh, and turned into... (laughs) I don't know, uh, you know, a few billion dollar market cap or a few hundred million dollar market cap uh, token. Um, But not really looking at the ICOs that were popping up, that were starting to pop up at that time. Uh, So that's where we decided to focus. We felt like there was, you know, there was basically CoinDesk and a a vast sea of shit Mm -hmm. in terms of... um, Intelligence on the market in terms of just yeah market just news even yeah and let alone analysis yeah uh, it, you know CoinDesk was the, really the only reputable outlet out there and they they were I think making a conscious decision not to cover ICOs mm-hmm. um, so so we waded into that space and with a, an investor newsletter which I think you know gained in popularity fairly quickly uh, people valued the sort of in depth insight okay here's this issuance coming up yeah. Um, And, you know, here's what to know about it. Here's a a look at, you know, where there might be conflicts of interest between the issuer and the token holder, this Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's the, you know, even just the kind of bare data on like what's the total token supply and some of those kind of bare numbers help people make decisions about whether that was interesting or not. Uh, So, you know, fairly quickly, the, 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 the amount of new token issuance got completely out of hand. But there were, uh, you know, by the summer, for example, of that year, there were, uh, you know, somewhere near 20 or 30 a week that we were aware of. And, yeah. and we were really just tracking the ones marketed in English. Mm-hmm. So there was a whole other sea of things happening in Asia uh, and, and maybe also in Eastern Europe mm-hmm. that, that wasn't even really touching our radar. Mm-hmm. And for us, the, the key problem became how do you filter, you know, how do you filter this in a way that makes sense. Uh, because you would see things that you would dismiss, pop off and and close, you know, a $20 million um, ICO in a matter of minutes or hours or days. So we started to look at, okay, what are some of the things that would signal that that's gonna happen? What are some, what, you know, and also, first of all, what are the ways Patterns. we can get our arms around this whole thing? Right. Yeah. yeah, what yeah. are the data feeds we can bring in yeah. that would say, you know, that would differentiate without being like, oh yeah, you know, I mean, okay, this website looks like it was built by an Eastern European, you know, like the sort of social filters that would otherwise sort of inform you about what's a good investment or not. Yeah. Maybe weren't relevant in this space. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and sort of what are some more objective metrics you could apply? Like if this was truly becoming global democratized access to capital. Right. And if truly, right, like a, some genius in a basement in Estonia could come up with uh, something world changing uh, that was worthy of investment. How would you kind of, how would you look at that and map it against patterns of other things that, that turned out to be successful? And then, you know, have a little red light go off on your dashboard that said, you know, check out this company in Estonia. That was really what we were building uh, at Token Report. And, um, you know, I think in hindsight, like in hindsight, like actually, as it turns out, okay. So, so a lot of people look at what happened in 2017 and they're like, oh, that was scams total shit coins like i might agree with you total shit coins but i think probably most of it was not actually scammy by intent Mm -hmm. right these were entrepreneurs who had who saw a path to capital had true belief in what they were doing and, and were going after capital to pursue that vision uh we're being honest to to the degree that they were capable or you know at least intending to be honest um Being honest, but maybe not being as transparent as they should have been, given that they were basically crowdfunding, right? Mm -hmm. There's a certain level, I think, of transparency and disclosure that should come with that. Yeah. So there were certainly a lot of projects that that probably weren't meeting those standards. um, But at the same time were, um, you know, again, I I think calling them scams is – it's just painting with too broad a brush. Right. So not to excuse that, because as it turned out, a lot of people lost money uh, investing in projects like that. Most of those things have gone to zero. Even the ones that raised money are now finding themselves incapable of shipping product. uh, Or if they are capable of shipping a product, nobody wants it. Bottom line, uh, everybody thought it was 1996. And it turns out it was really like 1972. You know? (laughs) Or whatever, right? And we, I mean, we, you know, we wrote about that at the time, um, you know, looking at like, what, where are we in this sort of cycle of, of the shift of paradigm shift, right? Are we, you know, has the, has the microchip just been invented? Has Netscape just gone public? Or in fact, are we, you know, just going from, um, you know, batch processing to stream on mainframes, you know? And, and, and so I think, you know, the, the lesson of 2017 is that this is going to be a lot longer. There are a lot of things we got to figure out. We should mm-hmm. slow down, mm-hmm. get back in the garage, and start tinkering. And, um, you know, token report uh, was ultimately acquired, um, and, but, you know, I would, it was not a, a stellar outcome, um, really kind of a, an important storm acquired situation. by new alchemy new alchemy is the company that's right uh, which is peter vesseness's company uh the guy i mentioned earlier uh who was you know helped me form the idea of the company was an investor and a customer mm-hmm. uh and and so you know really this was like a sort of a, a, a uh inside uh, round if you will um we took it inside built a a, a research arm inside of new alchemy and um uh, I left New alchemy in december of uh, of two thousand and eighteen um, and you know, out of the experiences of two thousand and seventeen and two thousand and eighteen, I think had formed this conviction that that you know, a, this is a, gonna be a long haul. Uh, B most of the ideas that people are talking about are not very well thought through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and C, the most important measure is is what, what is being used what, what will users adopt uh that's the you know i think a lot of the projects you see have not even actually quite clearly thought through that which an observation let alone having data to demonstrate that that right. users
0: would adopt it an observation by the way when you say that out loud you just described like three pillars of like what any successful business should have probably before you invest in mm-hmm. it Right, right. Like, is, like you shouldn't just invest in something off of right. off of words on paper. You should invest in something that's a little bit more downstream. You know, down you know through, sure, through the production right. line. Even if it's an alpha product, is there is there a proven use case for it and and in, in value from whomever the eventual uh, consumer will be?
1: Yes, and and the I mean, the, you know, the difficulty here is you know if you back out from that, you're and 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 sort of agree that this is going to take a long time you're looking at something that might not you know the sort of the the fundamental like infrastructure level technology of all this might not be available for 10 years
0: so here's a question i want to ask you on that actually so that so earlier in the conversation when you're talking we're talking about boston and the types of uh really weedsy tech boston's known yeah. for and you know sometimes can't get out of our own way and, and being able to articulate the full extent of like the that real like like middleware would almost be a, an, an understatement of how weedsy the tech is in, sure. in boston yeah. is it not a big opportunity for boston particularly to help um, produce oh and yeah the, the the code no and i the, think and it the is developmental look, it's, it's, infrastructure it's of, the, of the crypt- it, that's I mean, what's happening so that yeah. yeah let's talk
1: about that like the 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 crypto scene here i think is i mean it you know like everything is in it boston, Hollywood? it punches above its own weight i mean there is no hollywood yeah, yeah. of
0: is there a potential for boston <laughs> to be the hollywood of crypto
1: i mean that would be terrible <laughs> um but like to be the to be the real epicenter of development i mean i don't know it's so okay like i think about um you know geographic clusters of of technology a lot like more than i should and that's i think part of having come out of uh streetwise and, and, you know, not only that, but I, I studied it in graduate school, mm, entirely uh, wired. how those, you know, I, I think it's part of also having uh, come up here in Boston, yeah. right? Like people in, you know, people in Silicon Valley probably don't think about that as much, right? Cause it's like the air they breathe, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, um, I mean, it, you know, Bitcoin is a good example. Like it's tough to get an American to think about money. Right, it's like getting a fish to think about water. Right? Yeah, this is like what uh, uh, Wences Casares, who's yeah. one of the early Bitcoin yeah. uh, evangelists, and uh, runs a company called Zappo, uh, X A P O. Um about he's, 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 Yeah, yeah right. Like, so yeah. what? Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like what? Yeah. You know. Yeah. So so this air, there's this alternate yeah. air.
0: Yeah. You know, that's yeah. better than yeah. the air yeah. that you
1: have. Exactly. Yeah. But it's very different for somebody like like Casares, who came from Argentina. And
0: you'll live longer.
1: Right? Like, this guy growing up, you know, saw his family go through three currency crises. Mm. You know, like, similar yeah. to what Argentina's going through now. Right? The currency was devalued. Uh, you know, sort of like, whatever your paycheck that you took home last week is... Not what it is this week? not because the amount is less, but because you can't buy bread with it anymore or something right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so so and I, I mean here in the so US, it like home. it's it's been a long time since, you know, I mean, we, we saw you know inflation in the early 1980s and the, you know um, but nothing quite like that. you know the you know like sort of the gas, right, the fuel crisis in the early 70s. Maybe comparable, but it's it's been a long time, even if you count those events.
0: So could a financial crisis potentially spark the next well, positive wave for I mean, crypto? I think,
1: I think crypto is a great, you know, Bitcoin especially is a very good hedge against, um, you know, global financial instability. Um, you know, it sort of has a lot of qualities. And I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people gravitate to it mm-hmm. is that they are doubtful that that the system that has brought us this far can bring us further so so i think what's interesting about thinking that way is that frequently when those kind of paradigms shift Mm -hmm. the the geographic locus of industry also shifts right so like if you look over the past couple of centuries you know right now everything is all eyes in the world are on silicon valley uh, or at least you know in the western world they are um i think it's true i think you can confidently say that all eyes in the world are on Silicon Valley. <laughs> okay. So, Silicon Valley without, loves that. Without, without with, yeah, tell, tell us more. Tell us more. Well <laughs> without feeling like I'm I'm talking from a you know US or Western perspective yeah. or something. I think you know that's true it's across fair. the globe. Yeah. So so flashback fifty years, you know, or, or more, all eyes in the world were on Detroit. You know, and fifty years before that it was like uh, Cleveland or Pittsburgh, you know, in the steel era. Mm-hmm. Right. And then fifty years before that it was, you know, Liverpool. Right, in Lancashire County, in, in the UK. Mm. Uh, right, so like the center of industry, like through the through the history of industrial revolutions, right. With each kind of shift in the in the industrial paradigm, the geographic center shifts. So I think there, I think we may be approaching a time. It's very hard to imagine, and people will be like, "Oh, you're crazy." But I think we may be approaching a time where that center moves from Silicon Valley to somewhere else. Now, would I, you know, would I put my chips on Boston? (laughs) No, I wouldn't. But I do think that Boston has a lot to contribute in this story and is doing so. Uh, And and one thing, you know, again, you know, similar to 2009, one thing that's missing, I think, is A, telling that story Mm -hmm. well. And B, bringing people together in ways that facilitate growth and development.
0: Um, and the first one's going to feed the second one because if the story is told well and more people just un- comprehend what's going on, generally other collaborators will gravitate toward those ideas, and exactly. things, and, and work. exactly. It just makes yeah. it. It yeah. sort of reduces.
1: I don't know. Reduces friction. friction or something. 100%, it just yeah. makes it, or yeah. it gives gives you know adds fuel. It, it inspires whatever analogy you want. Yeah.
0: Very large right? talent pool in Boston and many other uh, yeah. uh, uh, tech communities, but. It will inspire confidence in young talent to yeah. gravitate towards those ideas well, and those projects. And
1: so, one of the things that I think is actually really interesting. So, so I've had some interesting conversations with um, with Corbin Pawn, who's the co-founder of Thesis, which is um, which is actually a really interesting company, A sixteen Z backed, and um, oh. developing a, a privacy oriented layer two solution. So basically. Not to get too much into the weeds, but if you want to transact with uh, over a smart contract, right, over a blockchain, you want to do something with another counterparty where everything that happens in the contract, the fulfillment of the contract, is basically governed by code rather than by legal code. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you want to inject some data into that. You want to share some data as part of that transaction, but you don't want to share it entirely with your counterparty, let alone with the world, because right. remember we're talking about public permissionless blockchains like Ethereum and Bitcoin here, right? right? Uh, you can use a layer, you know, the, the idea behind Keep is you could use a, a layer two above the layer one protocol where you would store that data and then it would be shared in a secure way, right? Anyway, fe- cool project. Corbin and I have been talking about the different needs of, of different communities, right? We talk about the tech community in a kind of a monolithic way, but really the tech community is a lot of different communities. So we do have a fair amount of, of people in the business community in Boston doing events, doing meetups, right getting together and, and sort of talking about blockchain and crypto but but that's the needs of that community and that, that community is real and it's important but the needs of that community are different from the needs of a technical community right like a developer community that is geographically um, you know sort of contiguous and mm-hmm. focused right uh, And I think you know that's an area where Boston there, there are so there's so much untapped resource and yeah. talent here and we could do better to bring together um, a technical community around crypto and blockchain. And I think, you know, there's no technology that, that you know, I mean, t- it, right. Crypto very much comes from open source roots. So when you look at the, the developer communities that coalesce around any of these projects, they tend to be very global, very distributed, right. You have people contributing code from all over the world and that's very exciting. But at the same time, like you need to, you know, you need to be able to go and like scribble stuff on a cocktail napkin once in a while yeah. with some folks who can understand what you're scribbling. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah, 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 so yeah. so I think, I think there's a, um, you, you know, there's a real need behind that in order for Boston to fulfill that potential, but that yeah. potential is very much there.
0: Right on. so for people that are listening to this podcast, what is, a, how would you, and this is not an easy question to answer in, in, summary but how would you summarize the blockchain technology and sort of crypto asset class right now where would you point people toward um, for reading material on 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 promising projects and you know how generally would you like what's your advice to um, level one, one hundred level, kind of introduce people to the concepts and the promise of what's happening, at least simply here in Boston. But certainly, if some of the reading materials and research materials are available available on the internet from somewhere else, like you know, where is that? Um, but that seems to me like one of a valuable yeah. output of this conversation. So
1: I, I apologize, but the first thing to read is the Bitcoin white paper. Uh, it is um, it's concise. It's very well written. Uh, it's like scorchingly well written, and uh, you know, take take the time to Google a few of the things that you know, there will be terms that certainly when I read it, there were terms for the first time. There were terms that were unfamiliar to me. Uh, I think taking the time to Google those terms and look up the answers is um, you know was was a productive learning experience. Um, Great. I think you know that is a very good starting point. I think at this point we now have. A handful of interesting and useful, um, you know, news outlets. Uh, CoinDesk, I would name also uh, the Block, very good. Um, I, I'm a, a reader of um, of uh, Token Daily, which is no longer daily; it's now three times a week. Uh, but Asuna Amaz's newsletter uh, is always very good. Um, and then I would also say Laura Shin's podcast or podcasts tend to be, um, you know, accessible, uh, but not dumbed down. Uh, you can, you know, hear from people who are important and active, uh, and, and interesting with, and, um, you know, she, she brings a good interviewer, good questions. Uh, and, um, you know, I think, um, you know it's it's a kind of thing that is you know both accessible to new people who are new to the space and then also um you, you, you know edifying for people who have been in it a little while you know there's there's a bit of a narrative in crypto around like well when did you get in and like oh you know like i, I was like all the podcasts like their first question to the guest is like so when did you get into crypto what's your sort of origin story of that and i i can't wait for the time when we get beyond that because yeah. it's like who cares yeah. you know um i think what's you know what's far more interesting is what ideas do you have to contribute today and and you know it's really compelling and exciting to have a mix of people who are new who who bring a fresh perspective uh and people who are ogs uh who have been you know came in when it was a, a sort of a libertarian movement. Right. That's a really interesting perspective. I heard uh David Chom, who started one of the first cryptocurrencies uh, uh called eCash back in the uh, like late 90s, I think. Um maybe even earlier than that. Jeez. Uh I, I heard him speak in San Francisco uh last year, and uh and that was that was just great to hear his perspective, right? Even though, you know, that perspective is not necessarily the most relevant or applicable today it still informs and the same thing goes for somebody who just came in and like read everything they could and has been studying this for a month right their perspective is is different from mine different from david Chom's, you know and and different from somebody who's been in since the early days of bitcoin so um i think it is one of these things where you do have to kind of have a little bit of an obsession or commitment yeah, it's it's hard to be like, oh, I'm just going to read this one thing and then I'm going to know all about it, and it's good. There's a lot to unpack, a lot to understand. Um, um you know, it, because again, like it involves thinking differently about something that you're used to kind of just taking for granted. Sure, right, which is money and yeah. and ownership. Yeah, right, like you own your house. People don't question that. You own Apple stock. You don't question that. You don't like think about how does that work? What does that mean? Yeah. Right. What's the structure of ownership and governance that I'm tied into? Yeah. Right. And what are the, some alternative structures of ownership and governance that might exist out there? You start by reading the Bitcoin white paper and all of a sudden it opens up the idea that there's a whole other way of doing this that we haven't thought about. And that's really the seed of, um, of everything that people are doing here. Uh, and I think ultimately what we'll know what will result in, in something really new that probably we can't even really imagine today well said
0: it s- seems to me the getting right down to the brass tacks with the ogs as to what they have worked on and what they're working on and transferring that knowledge to your point a few times like important storytelling getting those messages from those working on interesting forward thinking uh new class of of crypto assets and communicating that to we'll say the layman uh but the certainly the layman tech person that's that's genuinely interested yeah so reading the bitcoin white paper is um it's, it's something i haven't done i should do i've read excerpts from it my takeaway from things lightly that i pulled away from it is that it it spoke to me about the Why it spoke to me was it spoke to vulnerability Mm -hmm. and, and it, and, and, and consequently I felt more, I was more compelled to question my uh, otherwise acceptance of the way that I generally go about contracts in life, whether it's the home I just bought or uh, a car I purchased or yeah. a contract I have with the client. Like it just had me completely rethink like what a transaction, the mechanics underneath the transaction. So that I feel like that will, that's the sort That's of, uh, interesting that you pointed at Bitcoin because yeah, maybe in an oftentimes in markets when, when I'm helping a company communicate their value, we just focus on like, well, let's talk about the problems and what the pro- like, how those problems ha- like highlight vulnerabilities for those in this market, Mm -hmm. because then everyone will care because, Hey, you're at risk, right? There's, and there's a better way, even though the way that things are right now is what like broadly accepted and is the status quo does not mean that it's actually what is in your best interest.
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's, it's, you know, the, the, the evidence is not, I think, you know, there, there's probably Bitcoin itself and crypto in general has some work to do on that kind of storytelling. The narrative that you can walk across a border with your life savings in your head, right, as a number or a string of numbers and letters, I, I think is pretty compelling, right? It's like awesome. like It yeah. sort of unlocks a whole lot of different ways of thinking. It just kind of makes you kind of pivot your idea of ownership in your mind. Yeah. What does it mean to own something? Yeah. all of a sudden changes. Yeah. But but Jesus, I hope to never have to do that in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah. You know, like people often, well, yeah. you know, you say, like, well, what's a real use case for crypto? And people are like, well, Venezuela. You know, I'm like, it's true, right? People yeah. are using Bitcoin as a, you know, as a, as a regulatory escape to get around capital controls, currency controls, as an on-ramp to the dollar, you know, a, a, way, a store of value, of basically a digital substitute for gold in case they have to flee the country,
0: yeah.
1: right? Um, it's their back door. It's, yeah, yeah, it's all yeah. kinds of things to yeah. people in that situation, but, but let's all hope that we don't end up in that situation, Yeah. right? And let's work toward a world where we don't, I, I think even, you know, it, I think we, we should all acknowledge the possibility that those terrible things can happen anywhere in the world. Um, but, but at the same time, we should also look for uses of, of this new exciting technology that, you know, don't involve catastrophe, yeah. uh, you know but and you know and again like you look around the world and it's not just the Venezuelans who are seeing an erosion of their social contract like ask a british friend what they think about the national health yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> right like yeah. everywhere everywhere in the world i think now and you know you, you 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 see people who are questioning some of the things you mentioned right what are, what is the nature of your relationship with the government what is the nature of the your transactions with others yeah what underlies all that and and really you know, as it turns out, I think money is actually a really helpful kind of language. Yeah. When you become more conversant with what it means, something what it means to own money, what it means to transact in money, or what it means to have debt, uh, all those concepts help understand those um, those social uh, those social contracts.
0: Yeah. Well said. So Galen, you you speak a lot. Before we wrap up, I was curious if you had any upcoming speaking engagements or what are you up What are you up to this summer? I don't. Anything uh, else you want to share with with the Boston community before we exit this jam?
1: Well, you know, Boston Blockchain Week is coming up. Uh, that's going to be that's. There's going to be a lot of great events, so I strongly suggest checking that out. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're you know really you know if you're really in and you are committed uh, consensus is in new york uh i think the week right after that that would be the week of the um uh the, the 12th or something like that 12th 13th yeah um so that's a you know that's a big event a lot of people from all over and we're talking about will be there yeah this is may. all in may yeah. um
0: blockchain weeks the first week of may right is it right in the beginning of that's March? correct
1: yeah yeah, yeah uh and you know I mean I think in general if you're if you're looking for crypto events around Boston there's no shortage of them right there's a if you just go on uh, meetup or eventbrite um uh, you know you can find um you can find things going on so uh you know I don't get to all of them but how do we sort through them all
0: like is there gonna be uh, another is Galen Morgan gonna show up with a newsletter again soon to help us navigate things so we can tell the smoke from the fire I,
1: I feel like I'm not yeah honestly like, I feel like I'm not ready to, like in, in, I think in 2017, it, w- it seemed like there was the gap in information seems so clear. And now it's, I think there's a, like as I was saying, I think there's a need to move a lot slower. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking my time trying to figure out, I'm really just trying to figure out how to know what's interesting. Yeah. And a lot of that to me comes down to, you know, identifying user metrics in a, in a world that's, which is difficult in a, war, in a world where the technology is is yeah. still uh, sort of at a proto stage.
0: How mature of you?
1: Walk before you run. Well, look, well, I think it's so it's no, like you, no, the you, whole industry the is whole getting industry more needs to do This that. is happening, yeah. right? Yeah. While 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 CNBC has moved on to other things, yeah. and 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 the scammers have have uh, moved on to other buzzwords, yeah. uh, For the most part, there are still some scammers left. Uh, you know, crypto, I think is is maturing. Yeah. And so, um, you know, crypto. People talk about crypto winner. Uh, you know, it's a good thing. It's it's good to be in the garage tinkering. Cool. So now onto some more tinkering. Onto some more tinkering. What are you yeah. What are you tinkering with today? Uh, this afternoon.
0: This afternoon, I'm I'm tinkering with some some calls with some partners. Going to inspire people with confidence. Nice. And uh, and then this weekend, I'm tinkering with a a new home in Beverly.
1: Oh, that's some heavy tinkering.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my wife, uh, my our daughter's second uh, birthday is three months away, but she's like, "You gotta start working on the backyard right now."
1: Uh, and I'm excited. So you can be yeah. done by October. Yeah. yeah. So I'll,
0: I'm. uh that's I'm gonna. Good. I'm gonna be a, a part-time uh, landscaper on the weekends nice. for the next few months. Well,
1: take care of your back. Drink glass of water.
0: Yeah. Thanks, bud. This has been great, Galen. A Lot of fun. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Cheers, Boston.